Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a holy God, that you are a God who is worthy of worship, honor, and praise. God, thanks that we can come to this place today to worship you, uh, to learn from your word, to be moved by you, Spirit, so that we can uh, go and live as followers of you. Lord, as we open your word today, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, reveal to us what we need in our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, would these words not be mine, but would they be yours? And Lord, would all this be done for your glory. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, go ahead, grab a seat. Good morning and welcome. My name's Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at Emmanuel, and uh, it's my great privilege to help us open up God's Word and see what it has to say to us and what we can learn from it. And uh, today we're continuing on in our series, going through the book of Jonah. Today we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, open it up, follow along in there. Uh, But before we get into it, I just want to take a moment to sort of live it out, as it were. One thing I find really helpful sometimes as I uh, engage with the Bible is to sort of put myself in it, as it were, to sort of Imagine, what would it be like to walk through sort of these sections of the Bible? Not that the Bible is written with me in it, but so that I can sort of just see and imagine. And so I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're in the ancient Middle East. And this is a painting of the great city of Nineveh. This painting's called The Temples of Nineveh. And this uh, sort of broadcasts and shows uh, what some of the temples may have looked like in this great city that was... Uh, in what is now modern-day Iraq. It was the capital city of the empire of Assyria. It's a city that was so big that they say it would take three days for one person to walk across the whole length, which, when you think about it, is pretty significant. I mean, we can't walk, it would be way less time than that to walk across Abbotsford, to walk across Vancouver. And so how big was the city that it would take three days to, to walk across? And I, imagine what it might have been to like to live in the ancient Middle East in this thriving metropolis that would have been full of hustle and bustle, right? This would have been a place of commerce. There's all this business happening, all this thriving culture around arts, and there's all these places of worship. They're this polytheistic uh, people, so they worship all these different gods and have all these different temples that were, were set up. And I want you to imagine for a minute, what would it be like to be one of the people who lived in this city, and perhaps one of the people who would get to be a fly on the wall, perhaps you work in the the king's court. And so every day what you would do is you'd get up in the morning, crack a dawn, make sure that you are there in the king's throne room before anyone else gets up because there's no way you're coming in once the king's already in there. That's bad news. So you get up first thing in the morning and uh, you get ready and get yourself out the door. Now, this is a, a Middle Eastern culture. This would have been A lot of activity, even first thing in the morning in a busy city like this, people would be all over the place, very hospitable, very warm. People would be talking to to one another. But imagine if for some reason there's not this usual activity. Perhaps you open up the doors and after your eyes adjust to the blinding Middle Eastern sun, you begin to walk to work But instead of all of these people gathered on the street saying hello, you see people standing in stalls and doorways with hushed tones. There's people whispering to one another about some event that you have yet to see. 
That is, until you walk in to the central square. And there, as you come into the plaza, is a man, a foreigner, perhaps standing on the steps of the temple of Ishtar, who is the goddess patron of the city of Nineveh. And as you see him there, you realize why people aren't talking, why people are just gathered in this unusual place. Because this foreigner, through his broken Akkadian language, begins to speak about how this great city which you live in, will fall in 40 days. He says, if you do not change your ways in 40 days, the God of Israel will come to overthrow this great city. Now that might not be strange in and of itself. I mean, in a major city like this, there's bound to be a few kooks who come out into the city square and yell things about doom and destruction, especially as they worship all these gods. But what was different in this instance is that people actually took notice. People listened to this foreign man who called on the city to change because they had been experiencing something. As an empire, they'd been going through a season of plagues and famine, of civil uprising and revolts. And so now someone comes and says that there is a reckoning? Well, you're probably all too aware that maybe something's going on. What would that do to you if you walked into that scene? How would you react to circumstances like this. Well, we'll see as we go through the chapter 3 of the book of Jonah that people did respond. And they responded in quite a dramatic fashion. And this is a historical account of something that really did happen. And so as we look at this account today, I want us to not only take note of what change happens in the city because of this unusual scene, But I want us to consider what change must occur in our lives and in our city for these very same types of things to occur. Let's read together Jonah chapter 3 from verses 1 to 10. We read this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. And a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued said, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink. But let people instead and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. For who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. We're told that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring them to the destruction that he had threatened. 
So up into this point, we, we've been walking through the book of Jonah, and we've seen this man who's a prophet. He's a messenger from God, from the nation of Israel, and he gets this message from God, and then he goes on the run. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and, and Jonah says, no way, no how. I'm not going there. I'm actually going to go across the Mediterranean Sea and run from what God is telling me to do. But God caught up to him and sent this storm, and in the storm, he almost drowned. God then rescues him out from the midst of this and ends up putting him back on the seashore of the Mediterranean. From there, where we start reading today, Jonah's been through this incredible experience where he's seen God's forgiveness, he's seen God's mercy, and God says, out of that, I want you to now go and do what I asked you to do in the first place. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and tell them, about my justice so that I can show them my mercy. And so because of all that Jonah's been through, we see that now he has sort of experienced a little bit of something that has changed sort of his attitude, his, his heart set, his mindset, and he's decided, okay, I'm going to go. And so he travels from the Mediterranean seashore to the great city of Nineveh. Now this journey, depending on where he ended up on the seashore, would have taken him somewhere between five and 600 miles of travel, which is incredible when you think about the fact that this is way back in the day and there is no easy way of travel. So he goes through this incredible journey probably just to get there. And we don't know what that's like, but what we know is that Jonah has this conviction. He's going to go where God sends. And so he enters into this massive city. Three days wide it takes him to go across it, but he starts, and on that first day, he enters in. And he starts to say the message that God has sent him to say. He says, in 40 days, this city will be overthrown. And this gets people talking. And I think that's interesting that this gets people to talk because, uh, you know, as I explored when I was uh, picturing this, you know, we're used to seeing people sometimes go on rants and rapes. How many of us have maybe walked through the city and heard somebody just randomly shouting about something and we just either cross the street or walk on by? If you've experienced this, you kind of just write those people off as a little bit of loony and you go about your day and hope you forget it. But something different happens in this moment. These people don't just hear this guy who's a foreigner, who's speaking probably in the broken version of their language. They don't just walk by and ignore him, but they take notice. They listen. There's something about what he says that draws them in. And not only do they take the time to listen, but they choose to act. They say they respond to God. They respond to God. And so they enter into this period of mourning and they put on these mourning clothes and they enter into a fast and they say to themselves from the greatest, the, the, the king of the ruler of the greatest city of the greatest empire at the time, all the way down to the lowest person, all say, we are going to humble ourselves before God. We recognize that we've, we've done evil. We recognize that God has told us that we've done wrong and we are going to devote ourselves to calling on God in hopes that maybe he will relent what we've been told about. And incredibly, that's what God does. God, out of an act of mercy, chooses to spare the people of Nineveh from the destruction that he has told them they deserve. When they respond to his message, God acts and responds. His wrath is gone. 
Now, when I read this account, you know, I, I, I kind of get a mixed bag of emotions. One of my emotions is I get excited. I get pretty excited about this because, I mean, look what God did in this ancient city. We know from history that this is a horrible people group. The Assyrians are these terrible conquerors who make atrocious war crimes everywhere they go. They have no problem slaughtering, murdering people. They're extorting the nation of Israel. They, by every stretch of imagination, are the worst kind of people you can imagine. If we looked at them, we would say their lives are unchangeable. That's what Jonah thought. I mean, Jonah looked at the country of Nineveh, and all he saw was enemies. He saw his enemies, people who threatened his nation's uh, control and climate, their freedom, their sovereignty. He saw them as enemies of God because they worshiped these other gods and, and they chose to prey upon the nation of Israel. And so by his standard, there was no way, no how anything was going to happen with these people. And why should they change? They're on top of the world. They're the greatest empire. This city is the greatest people in the greatest empire. But God swoops in. God says, I am going to do something. And so he sends this messenger, this perfectly, wonderfully flawed human, to go in and share his word. And using this flawed person with one simple message, God ends up changing an entire city. We know the great city of Nineveh was about 120,000 people at the time. Every single one of them turns in response to him. That gets me excited about who God is and what he can accomplish. If God can accomplish that, I mean, what could that mean for us? I know a lot of people who I consider unchangeable. Just like Jonah saw the Ninevites as unchangeable. But if I think they're unchangeable, what does God see? What can God do? This gets me excited. But while I'm excited, I'm also a little bit frustrated. Can I be honest that I'm a little bit frustrated that we don't see what happened in Nineveh happening here in Abbotsford? You know, when I look at the story in Jonah chapter 3, I see this guy who finally gets it together and goes out into a community that needs Jesus and he or needs God and brings the message and the whole city is changed. But I, I don't see that happening. When I look around... What I see is a whole lot of Jonas in chapter 1 and 2. I see a lot of people of faith who are on the run from God and who are resisting his call. I see a lot of people who speak a big game about what God can do, not doing anything. And what I find ironic about that is that as we study the Bible, particularly in this case, as we look at the book of Jonah, we often scoff and laugh. We look at people in, in history and we go, what an idiot. Come on, Jonah, God spoke to you. He, he sets you up with this mission that he wants to send you on. He's going to send you to a city of 120,000 people who don't know him. You've audibly heard that he's going to send you with a message and you don't go. We read ourselves into the text and we go, well, if it was me, I would have gone. I mean, how many of us, if we were alive in Jesus' time, would have been part of the 12? You know, we think, yeah, I would have been one of those disciples. I'm less screwed up than that group of guys. Well, if we're not part of the 12, I'm at least part of the 72. I mean, Jesus sent out 72, so I'm at least in the top 100. When we read the book of Jonah, we go, well, 
come on, why can't this guy get together? I, I would have done it. If I would just hear from God, I would go. But what's the reality? Let's look at the honest reality of the situation we find ourselves in. We as people of faith live in a city that's far larger than the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh was 120,000. We live in a city of 148,000 people. There's over 80,000 people who call Abbotsford home who do not know Jesus. They're not in relationship with him. There's been so many of them who have never been told about the good news of who God is. We roll our eyes at Jonah, but we turn a blind eye to the situation we find ourselves in. There are 80,000 people who call this city home. Who, if they keep on going through their life without hearing the message of God, will experience the destruction that comes because of the consequences they deserve because of their action. How can we be okay with this? How can we sit there and mock Jonah and go, oh, I would go and live a content life in the midst of the situation we find ourselves in? The question we have to face is, will we do something about it? We're not unlike Jonah. We're not Jonah. The situation isn't exactly the same, but we aren't unlike Jonah. We as followers of Jesus have been given a call by God to go and bring his message to people. One of the last things Jesus tells his followers to do, he says, I want you to go. I want you to go to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to go and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you to do. So why aren't we going? Jesus plays that call on every single one of our lives. I don't know about you, but I want to see what happened in Nineveh happen in this city. I want to see hordes of people come to know Jesus because people faithfully live out their call. I want to see people's lives turned upside down because of the good news of who God is. That even though they are deserving of every consequence that could possibly come because of their rebellion, because of their evil, because of their wickedness, despite all of that, God has reached out to save. Will we go? Or will we be satisfied with the way things are? Well, I hope we'll go. And I think there's a lot that should excite us and encourage us, even within this text, that allows us to rise up to the call that God has placed on our lives. The good news that we see in Jonah is that God was on the move when Jonah went. In fact, God was on the move before Jonah went. When history, historians studied ancient Assyria, they looked at this time period and saw that as uh, jo before Jonah goes, there's all these plagues and famines and civil uprisings and revolts from other countries that, that come in and are pressing on this giant empire. 
And the people of the, the ancient Near East who are polytheistic, they worship all these different gods, would have certainly looked at this and gone, why is this happening? They would have looked to their gods and been like, gods, what do we need to do? What have we done to displease you? And so it's certain that they tried to find a resolution to the problems they were experiencing, and they knew that there was more to come. So when Jonah comes in, the path has already been paved. People are already prepared to hear the message that he's bringing, that yes, there is something wrong. The way you are living stands in contrast to what the God of the universe wants to happen. And because of that, there is a consequence. It's interesting that we can study history and we can see these paths that are paved where there's all these things that God allows to happen that prepare people to hear his word. Do you think maybe that could be happening right now? Do you think maybe things have been experienced in our world to prepare people to hear the news that they need to hear about Jesus? I think the two things seem awful familiar. And that encourages me. Because not only did God go before, but God also went with Jonah. We can see that clearly God must be on the move while Jonah goes. For starters, he doesn't get murdered. I mean, Jonah goes into the most ruthless city of the most ruthless empire and says, hey, you're all doomed because of who you are and how you live. The Assyrians had no problem. I mean, they committed war crimes all over the place. They just brutally murdered everybody who stood as up as their opponent. The fact that when this one foreigner comes into their city and says this and they don't slaughter him tells us something, that God was protecting him. But not only was it that, but clearly God is at work because people listened to him. And they didn't just listen, but they actually changed. There's no other explanation that I can think of for a massive shift in the way people were living to where they went. And it's not just one person, but it's thousands of people who respond to the message of God. This is incredible. I don't care if, if Jonah was the most compelling speaker. I mean, jo Jonah could have been Tony Robbins with his big clap, Oprah with her big giveaways, and he could have told the most compelling story, and there's not a chance, not a chance that all of these people, just because of one man, would turn their lives around. The only way that it could have happened is if God was on the move. God went with Jonah as he went. And this should be an encouragement to us. Because we see that, that while Jonah is invited to go, God does the rest. We see this elsewhere. We see it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. This is where the Apostle Paul instructs one of his protégés who's going to go and build the church. He says, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them the repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. One of the things we need to receive, because sometimes we allow our own stuff to, to stop us from going on the call, is that it's not up to us. If we ever get into this place where we think that God only will work because of us, we've gotten to a place where we have way too big, way too inflated of a sense of self and way too deflated a sense of God. 
God chooses to use us, but he doesn't need us. All he invites us to do is come and be faithful so that he can produce the fruit. Our job is to be faithful while God's job is to produce the fruit. And so for what that meant for Jonah is what it means for us today is that we are called to faithfully go to friends, to family, to neighbors, even to the people in the community we don't like or we don't understand or we have issues with. We're called to go to all of them to bring the message that he has given us. We're called to go and teach them about Jesus. Point them to him so their lives would be changed so they can be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and so that they will obey everything that Jesus has taught us. And so we've got to go. And we've got to bring a message. The message that that Jonah brought, we see in in verse 4, it says, Jonah went a day's journey into the city, and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's an incredibly simple message that that Jonah brings, and he just comes and he says, you guys are living as enemies of God, and because God's a God of justice, he's going to do something about it. There's a consequence, there's a penalty for going against them. And so here it comes. Now, I assume that there's a little bit more that comes to this, and verse 4 is sort of like a summary statement, because we do see that the Ninevites somehow not only hear this, but respond in an appropriate way that pleases God. They, they do receive from Jonah, okay, we are standing in contrast with God. We see that the king says, hey, we need to stop the evil that we're doing, and we need to turn, and we need to fast, and we need to pray, and we need to fixate on God. So there's this message, but it, it's ultimately really simple. Jonah didn't make it very difficult. He says you need to turn away from the destruction that you've brought on yourself towards God and the life that he can give you. It's simple. Turn away from destruction, come towards life. And that's the same message that we are called to bring. Thankfully, we get to live on this side of the cross, so we get to bring even more to the message. We get to bring the message of Jesus. Jonah didn't have Jesus yet. He has the message from God, and that's enough. But now we have the good news. That not only can people stave off destruction for a little bit of time in this present life, but that we can experience life for now and forevermore. We get to go sharing the very same thing that Jesus taught. When we studied the Sermon on the Mount as a church, we kicked it off looking at the thing that he says right before that message. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. He says, do a 180 from the way you were going and come towards God because he is here and present. If we want to see 80,000 people come to know Jesus, if we want to see 80,000 people who are hell-bent on sending their own lives into destruction, then we must go with a message. we got to go with the message of Jesus. And if we're honest, this makes a lot of us uncomfortable. We don't really like the idea of going up to friends or neighbors or, or people maybe we have conflict with and, and telling them that they're wrong. <laughs> Don't like saying, hey, the way you're living is not in line with what God wants, and that is going to have a consequence. I I get it. I I don't like going and doing it other way either. But what we have to understand is that's only part of the message. The other part of the message is life. The reason Jonah came and talked 
about death was so that the Ninevites could receive life. The reason we preach about death that comes from sin is so that people might experience the life that God has for them. One of the best places I see sum this up is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where we read this. It says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life might also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is in work, at work in you. We see when Jesus came and taught in John 10.10, we see that Jesus came and said, I have come that they might have life and life to the full. We should never be ashamed of the message that God calls us to bring because it's not about heaping on guilt and condemnation about people. Yes, people have to understand there's a consequence for sin. Yes, people are going to have to work through the fact that they have done things and there's going to be guilt there. But Jesus says, I haven't come so that people are going to feel guilty. I haven't come to leave people in a pit of despair. I've come to remove the chains that they have of sin, the bondage of the way they live their life that leads towards hopelessness and destruction. I have come so that they might be set free and experience the fullness of this life and the fullness of eternity with me. We have a privilege to go and bring the greatest message in the world to the people who need it most. So how do we do how do we go? What do we do? What does it look like? And that's a difficult thing to see here in the text. And, uh, and my guess is Jonah probably didn't do it the best. I mean, we can look and we'll look at next week, Jonah chapter 4, where we see that Jonah still is wrestling with God in the midst of this. And, and I kind of get this sense that Jonah probably took a little bit of, of, of sick pleasure in going to his enemy and, and telling them that this destruction and despair was to come and watch out because God. And I, I don't think that's the prescription we're supposed to take. That's the description of what happened in history. So what can we do? Where can we look? Well, I would encourage us, for starters, let's, we can go back to that place like 2 Timothy that we looked at before where the greatest church leader of all time was instructing his follower in how to go. He said this in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 25. Again, opponents must gently be instructed. That's all in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. And so when we go, we're supposed to go gently. We're supposed to go humbly. We're supposed to go with loving hearts. Most of the non-Christians I know have this perception that Christians are pretty rotten people because sometimes people, Christians have screwed this up and gone with a real condemning negative attitude. But that's not the way of Jesus. We don't just have to take Paul's word for it. We can just read the accounts that we have of history of how Jesus lived. For me, one of the most prominent examples of this is in, in John 4, where Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman at the well. Here's this woman who's living her life in all sorts of wrong ways. But Jesus comes, and he brings her the truth. He says, you need to turn your life around. The way you're living isn't going the way that you want it to go. It's not providing the fruit that you're looking for. So please turn your life around. But while he speaks that truth, he does it with such incredible love. 
He does it with this gentle spirit. He does it with this level of kindness and love. He gives her dignity and respect, which culturally would have just been crazy for this Jewish leader to be coming and, and, and talking with her, let alone spending time with her and, and, and treating her so well. Jesus provides us this answer that we are to go with, with gentleness, with humbleness, with kindness to bring his message. We should never get this sense that, that, that we are better than. We should never come to this place that, that, that we could take any joy in looking down on other people or condemning people. We, 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 we can't go there because the reality is if we've gone there, we've forgotten where we've come from. We can read in Ephesians 2, there's this reminder from Paul again that he says, there was a time you were separated from Christ. You weren't a citizen of God's kingdom. You weren't a member of his family. You did not inherit his covenant promises. You were without hope. You were without God. And it's only because of the blood of Christ that you were once far away and are now included in his family. When we go, we go as the least of people. We go as people who have been spared from our own evil, from our own wickedness. And so we don't go to be better than. We go to bring the only one who is better than. We bring the news of Jesus, who's better than sin, who's better than death, who's better than all of us. The only one who could accomplish living a perfect life. The only one who could die as a substitute for the death we deserve to die. The only one who could defeat death and raise up out of the grave and live forever without experiencing death again. We go to bring that message because that is the only message that can save our city. So will we go? I'd encourage you to do it. It's just the most wonderful thing. And, 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 and I've actually uh, recently had a, a wonderful experience of, of seeing how God works this all together. About a month ago, we were hanging out with uh, some friends who live in our complex, and uh, I, was, I was chatting uh, with a friend, and, and she says to me at one point, just sort of out of the blue, she says, you know what, I cannot believe I'm friends with you. She said, I, I can't believe that I'm friends with a pastor. And this is a woman who has been hurt by the church and Christians so very deeply. She's experienced the side where people have tried to reach out, but they've reached out with, with this level of condemnation and of shame, and it has just become a burden on her shoulders. And so suddenly she comes to me and she says, I just can't believe it, because you stand for everything that I stand against, for everything that I have experienced negatively. And in that moment, I, I had an opportunity. I really sensed this, this stirring of the Holy Spirit just, just prompting me. He said, you know what, this is the opportunity. And I, I know quite a bit about her life and, and, and the history that's brought about this pain. And so I just spoke to her and I just said, you know what, I need you to know that what those people have done, the way they've gone about it is totally wrong. But what is right is what they were trying to share with you. Those people, out of their misplaced, misguided way of showing their love, were trying to share with you the one thing that is most important to them. I said to her, honestly, 
It's the very same thing I want for you. I told her, I said, I want you to know the God who loves you, and I want you to experience a relationship with Jesus. And you know, she looked at me and she just said, thank you. And it wasn't this thank you because it was writing me off. It wasn't a thank you because she has yet to put her faith in Jesus, but it was just a sense of her knowing that she was loved and that she was cared for. And I know that in those moments, God did the work. And I'm encouraged. Well, she has yet to receive Jesus. I know that what we see in Jonah has taken place in that moment and in her life. I know that God was at work before that conversation because of the conversations we've had before and the things I was able to learn and the people I know who have heard her and I was able to then with intelligence speak in to her situation. I know that God was with me because there was everything in me in that moment that said, I don't know if I should say something. But the Holy Spirit said, no, this is the time to speak. And he gave me the words to say. And the great news is because I know who God is, I know what is told and taught in Scripture and what's revealed in there is that God is going to do what's next. God simply invited me to be faithful in the moment so he could produce the fruit down the line. This is what we are all called to do. And I genuinely believe that this is the only way that we're going to see revival in this city. We've put a lot of revival on the sense that there's going to be great preachers. And, and, and there's great preachers in the city. I know lots of phenomenal pastors who are right now or already have this morning or later today are going to preach these phenomenal messages. They're wise, they're smart, they're eloquent speakers. They're going to bring the message of God to the church who is gathered. And that's awesome. But there's still a limit to how far that reach will go. Could God do it that way? Yes, God could do it that way. But I also see that God has called the individual followers of Jesus to go and be the people who faithfully live out the call to bring his message to people in the communities they've brought, that he's brought us to. Some of us are going to be called to go overseas or to go other places in Canada to bring the good news of Jesus. And if you feel that call, you better go. You better listen and learn from Jonah 1 and 2 and go live Jonah 3 where he's calling you to. But for most of us, this is where we're called. This is where God's planted us. He's brought us to this city greater than the city of Nineveh with tens of thousands of people who need to know his love. He's placed us in different workplaces and schools. He's placed us in different hubs of family and friends in different community activities so that we would be faithful to his call and bring his message all across the city. So the question is, are you ready for some revival? Are you ready to see lives change by the power of Jesus' name? If you are, then we've got to go. And we've got to pray. And we've got to keep going. And we've got to keep praying. And we need to keep that up as long as God calls us to be faithful to him in this place where we now live. And so now, church, we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to spend time in some corporate prayer together. 
We often pray individually or someone from the stage will pray, but I'm inviting you today to pray because that's the only way we're going to see revival is if we are all involved in this. And so we're going to pray. And on the screen, there's going to be three points that we're going to pray. And you can pray these uh, by yourself individually or if you want to huddle with those you came with or if you're comfortable with those who are seating, seated around you, I would encourage you to pray through these three points today. Let's pray and ask God for a greater passion and boldness. Let's be excited about his name and, and feel the conviction of knowing what he can do and would we go and share it. Let's invite that. Let's ask him for the specific insight and courage in how we can share his good news. Pray for those moments that would come where, where Jesus opens up the door and the Holy Spirit says, hey, now's the time. Even when we're scared, would we ask him for that insight and the courage to step out in those moments? And would we pray? Would we not forget to pray for anyone? So would we pray for everyone, every person, every people group, every demographic and segment of our community? Would we pray that they would all encounter a follower of Jesus who would know them and love them and bring the truth that they need to receive so that they would come to faith through God's grace? So now what we're going to do is I'm simply going to, to stop and we're going to pray together. Feel free to pray on your own or together and let's invite God to move. And then I'll close that time in prayer. So let's pray. I cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. Feel free, feel comfortable to pray aloud. you're still praying keep praying heavenly father lord god we invite you 
to do an incredible thing in our city. Lord God, we pray for the city of Abbotsford. Lord, for the 80,000 people who, who don't not yet know you. Lord God, we pray for, for each and every one of them. And while we don't know them by name, Lord God, we know that you do. And God, we, we invite you to do a work within us. Lord, stir something up in our, in our hearts and our souls. Lord God, will we have a hunger to go out into our community? God, will we be reminded of, of the boldness and courage that we can have because it is you who accomplishes the revival? Lord, would we, would we have that stirred up in us so that we could go out into the city, so that we could declare your name with, with, with confidence and conviction, Lord, so that we would not be, be fearful of the conversations that need to be had and, and Lord God, would you use those to accomplish your great plan? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just give us a gentleness, a kindness, a, a, an ability to love as you love as we have those conversations. Lord God, I pray that each and every one of us would be in the lives of people who would, would need to hear who you are and would, Lord, you open up those doors and would you speak to us with clarity and would we step into those moments, not because we have the answer, not because we can solve their problem, but Lord, because we know the one who can and Jesus, would you work in and through those moments? Would we see our city radically change? Lord, you know who needs you and Lord God, we invite you to work. God, would we see something Thing that would happen in this city with the people of faith gathered all around this, this city this morning come to this conviction together where we would go and live in such a way that there is not a single person who doesn't know you who is far from someone who loves you and has a conviction to live out faithfully the call that you have placed on their life. Lord God, would we see an incredible change by because your people are following you and because we carry you, Holy Spirit, with us as we go. And Holy Spirit, would you just stretch out over this city and bring the evil to its knees and would you bring people from death to life in you. Heavenly Father, we invite you to work. And Lord God, as you work in us and through us, would you get all the glory honor and praise and would we see more of your kingdom come more of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we pray this in the powerful name of jesus amen